Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. All right, so welcome to Bible class. This morning we're doing uh, the Ten Plagues, uh, at least the beginning of them. And um, I think next week we do um, the last of the Ten Plagues. Um, And we'll kind of brush on the rest of them. So before we begin, let's open with prayer. Lord, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we can embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, so the Bible truth that our lesson today is trying to get across is is that our God is the one true God. The learner goal is so that you can recognize how the events of the plagues of Egypt demonstrated God's ultimate authority as the one true God. And a theme verse is taken from Jeremiah 10, verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. So, opening reflection, let's make a list of the top five things that people idolize today. What? Money. Money. Yep. Money is one of them. Sure, it certainly is. Status. Status is another one. Yep. Celebrities. Power. Celebrities, power. Yep. Yep. Possessions. Possessions, absolutely. Pleasure was another one. Pleasure. Um, sports. Sports. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, or entertainment in general, right? Um, um, technology. Yep. Yeah, technology. Yep, the late, you got to have the latest, ge- the latest gadget, the latest gizmo. I know people like that. Absolutely. Um, s- some people idolize um, um, their own autonomy, their own freedom, right? Um, lots, lots of idols out there. Humanism. Humanism, that's right. Humanism is the belief that um, whatever brings the most Pleasure and happiness is the best and the best choice. So that's absolutely a God out there. What makes these things false gods? And, and what makes them so tempting? Well, they're fleeting. Mm-hmm. Like they don't last. They don't last. But so then why are they tempting? Because they're here and now. We see other people who appear to have them. Right. We see the upside, but we don't see the downside. Right. Right. We, we see the the outward show of the glitz and the glamour or the uh, happiness, and we think, oh, I, I, I want that. <coughs> and how do they um, compare to the one true God? No matter how much you have of them, you always want more. That's right. They never satisfy that, that desire, right? Um, <coughs> Augustine has a famous quote, 
um, in his confessions where he says, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Uh, there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts and we try to, like a toddler, try to fit all sorts of things in that hole that don't work. I was thinking of Adam and Eve in the garden. They had everything, <coughs> perfection, everything, but they wanted more. Yep, yep, that's right. All right, so that, that gets us kind of thinking about false gods and why people cling to them um, and how God relates to them. So let's start our reading off here. And I'll start us with Revelation 7, 1 through 7. Exodus, Exodus, thank you. Same thing, it's all Revelation. (laughs) Uh, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. All right, so our reflection question. What words or phrases from this section reveal God's immediate purposes and then his grand purposes for the signs and wonders, the plagues that he's about to perform. What is God ultimately doing here? Proving that he's the true God. He's the true God, right? He's proving that he's the the true God. What's the phrase that he uses here in the text that kind of indicates that? Yeah, I, I knew. I knew they're doing. Let's hold on to that for a okay. second, All right. um, and we'll come to that at the end of the questions here. Um, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Yes, that I am the Lord. That's the phrase I, I just wanted to touch on. Now, note in your Bibles, what can you tell me about the word Lord there in your Bibles? It should be that way. I'm assuming it is, it is in the ESV. I'm, I'm not sure about the RSV. It should be the same. What is it? How does it look different? It's capitalized. Why is it capitalized? Okay, so um, I'm going to jump back one chapter or two chapters to, or three chapters, I guess, for um, Exodus 3. When Moses is at the burning bush, starting in verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I, am, uh, if I am come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? 
They shall say, then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. That is my name forever, and thus I shall be remembered throughout all generations. So, what, why is the word Lord capitalized? It replaces Yahweh. It replaces Yahweh, which is his proper name, right? God has a proper name, and it is Yahweh, mistranslated as Jehovah by some groups. But that's, that's his name. It appears over eight, almost 8,000 times in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, we've picked up the practice of not translating it, though some Bibles now are doing that. Some Bibles have turned the corner on that and they're actually putting it in. But that's why it's capitalized. So, just, so it's not just that. So the point of that is to say it's, it's, it is not just that he is a generic creator God. He is a specific creator God, one with a name and one with a relationship to a group of people, right? Um, he's not just um, a, a watchmaker deity. He is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, right? So he's got, so, so it's about him being the one true God in a specific context, Hope that that helps a little bit. Um, so we're looking at words and phrases that tell us his ultimate purpose. And we've seen that his ult- his his gr- grand purpose is that the world would know that he's the that that he, uh, Yahweh the Lord is the one true God. Uh, what other what other purposes do uh, of God do we see in these verses? Sort of outlining his plan. Right. So, how, so what's what's immediate purpose is to get his people out of slavery. Right. Immediately, the yeah, the immediate purpose is to get them out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, and he'll. Um, and then there's one more. Um, it's, it's not that he is just the only true God, but he is the God that created their gods. <laughs> yes, right. Like snake yeah, yeah. So there's 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 also a purpose of of saying something about the Egyptian gods, right? There's a God's going to say something about that. Okay, now before we move on, Wendy has a question about verse three. Yes. Okay. <coughs> so. In verse 3, it says God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Yep. Right? And as these come down, then his heart's going to get more and more hardened. Right? right. Okay. Did Pharaoh have a chance to change his mind, or was it already predetermined that this is God's plan and this is how it was going to go down? No, so deep, that God could prove. Deep end. Um, um, wasn't, it, wasn't it one that Pharaoh had slightly was going to let them go and then change his mind? No. One of the, one of the well, things. turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Mm-hmm. 
and we'll just take a brief excursus here on this issue. And we'll let Paul answer, and I'll read it here. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had, con- had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, loved but Esau I have hated. Now here's the part I want to get to. What shall we say then? Is there an injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and my name might be proclaimed in the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And you will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order that, to make known the riches of his glory from vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he has called, not of the Jews only, but of, of also of the Gentiles. All right. Now, what do you th- how do you think St. Paul is answering that question? I'm Just, thinking from this that God at some point runs out of patience and that he will discipline his people to show or discipline a group of people to show that he is God and what he wills, he wills. So, so let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. Does a judge have to pardon everybody? No. If a judge has pardoned, offers pardon to everybody, is he within his rights to retract that based on whatever reasons? It's a pardon. Um, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so that's, kind, that's a similar example to what Paul's saying here. Paul says, um, so no, notice what he says in verse 16. It says that God raised Pharaoh up for the purpose that, his name, that God's name might be declared and proclaimed in all the earth. And then it says, God has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. And then what's the response? Well, why does God blame us then? If God will harden one and have mercy on another, why is he blaming us? Right, and that's what he says. But who are, you know, he's creator. So there's a bit of a mystery going on here. Um, The question sometimes is asked, who hardened their heart first? Did Pharaoh harden his heart or 
um, did God harden his heart? And I think it's both, both things are happening at the same time because there's an old phrase, the same sun that um, melts the ice hardens the clay. God, God offers, God offers, for some people, God offers forgiveness and life and salvation to everybody. And some, for some people, it's like the sun melting ice. Other people, it's like the sun baking clay. It, they just get, they just turn around and get harder. They, now, so it just depends on which angle you're looking at it. And there's a, there's a mystery there. From the New Testament reading part, though, mm-hmm. I got the sense that he, God initially he gives everybody an opportunity, but then runs out of patience and then decides. Yeah, he, he gave everybody the opportunity in Adam and Eve. And, and, and so when it says vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, it means because of the fall, humanity is, is already destined for destruction. We're already on the trash heap going to the, the dump before Jesus, when Jesus comes to save us. All right. Um, so he's, he's in, God, God is not obligated to do anything. That, that's Paul's point. And that's something we, if God has, whatever God does here, if he's the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart first, he's not done anything wrong because he's God and Pharaoh's a sinner who likely deserves it. So however you conceive of it, there's been lots of people in debates on this throughout the years. The first thing we have to get clear is God can do whatever he wants. To, because these are criminal, these are, these are sinners who, um, who if, if God was to do this to them, God has not done them any ill, right? And the other, the other thing is, there's, is there's the road from the fall to getting Christ on the cross, right? So you had to get the people out of Egypt and to the promised land, right? Mm-hmm. So that falls falls into it too. I mean, there's you know, the plan of salvation right. that had to, you know, go through. Right. So, so when we, w- we would not say that when we're talking about God's plan and, and things like predestination, we want to be careful to say, to not say that God plans evil things because he doesn't. Evil things are never part of God's plan. Um, uh, he, he has given humanity a measure of, of free will. Um, Although we don't have the freedom enough fr- freedom to choose God apart from His grace, we ha- we can't. Um, but we still have a free will in horizontal earthly matters. Can, uh, can I just go on a different angle here? Sure. Um, I read this first and it bothered me as, as well, so I did some digging. Uh, the Lutheran Study Bible says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart only after the sixth plague. Prior to that, Pharaoh hardened his own heart against the Lord and continued to do so. Mm-hmm. God's action was a judgment against Pharaoh's sin. Mm. And then thinking more That's on that. That's the way I was kind of thinking of yeah. that. The only, the only problem with that is that when God's talking to Moses at the, heart, at the, at the burning bush, he says he's going to harden his heart. So it, it just but puts, it puts the, thing. I'm going to harden his heart. And yeah. He does. Yeah. After the sixth Yeah. Life. So, but that, but the, her question that gets back to her question, is the whole thing predetermined? Because God knows, if God knows ahead of time what he's going to do, is, 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 can it happen any other way? That's the, that's the question she's kind of raising. No. <laughs> that's, 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 that's screwed up. <laughs> Just because God knows ahead of the time, 
that right. predestination. He just knows it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. He didn't that's predetermine that. He just knows it's going to happen. Very good. That's, yeah, that's the, what I was thinking, Marie. That's too, right. Because it said there in the in the New Testament scripture, it was like talking about patience runs out. And, right. And that's the point. I'm. That was the point I'm trying to make. What when God hardens somebody's heart, it's always a judgment against sin. Yeah. And, and um, he, God is never unjust in whatever he does. Yeah. So then I took it a step further. It is Pharaoh's constant hardening of his heart in that he, the snakes, and then he has his magicians eat up the snakes, and it says that all of the, the magicians of Egypt did all of the same with their secret art, hearts, their secret arts. So is that a sin against the Holy Spirit? Is that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which becomes the unforgivable sin, and that's why Pharaoh's or God ends up hardening Pharaoh's heart. Here, God is giving him a sign. Pharaoh's essentially using Satan to counter those signs. That's where my head went anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's hard to know if it's the unforgivable sin or not because we don't know how much he, Pharaoh knows. Yeah. It, uh, anyway. Yeah. Was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. All right. Good, good, good discussion. Um, let's move on to uh, 8 to 13. Do we have a reader for 8 to 13, that next paragraph there? I will. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron... Take your rod and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same by their secret arts. For every man cast down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So why do you suppose God began his string of signs and wonders with such a simple miracle? What might this tell us about how God chooses to work? He only uses enough power to achieve his purpose. He's only going to, okay, I'll do this. If that doesn't work, then I'll try this. And if that doesn't work, I'll try this. <laughs> Right. Well, it's a simple Other, otherwise, you annihilated us right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> simple illustration for people, mortals, right? Right. Um, any other thoughts on this? Why? Why start small? What does this tell us about his purpose and how God chooses to work? Wasn't small. I think about servants. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> And right from the very beginning. Who, who's he challenging first? The devil. No, not the devil, not first. Think more in the story. Who's, who's first on the list to be confronted? Sorcerers. The sorcerers, the magicians, right? Um, they're first on his list, um, and then it gets, and then it goes beyond. As the plagues go on, it goes beyond the sorcerers to other things. 
Um, the um, these sorcerer gods are are the sorcerer the sorcerer gods. These um, magicians, what are they called? Magicians here, sorcerers. Yeah, um, they are um, priests of um, the Egyptian gods of some sort. Um, they were believed. To, they were believed they, that they could wield or, or power uh, uh, and perform signs and this kind of thing. So that's. Um, so, what is God, what is God trying to make clear then? He's God. He's God, right? He's trying to make clear that his authority is the supreme one. Uh, so he is. Um, Attacking the Egyptian system, the whole thing, the priests, the gods, Pharaoh, the armies, he, he's, he's showing that he is Lord of all of this, right? All right. I find it interesting that uh, God tells Moses, initially anyway, about Pharaoh's heart will be hardened and all this kind of thing to keep him in the loop. If I was Moses standing there and, you know, let my people go and he's not, whoops, the thing's going off the rails here. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, that's a good point. You know, if, if God hadn't told Moses that, Moses might not have, might, Moses might have lost heart. <laughs> so um, he's keeping them in the loop. I like that. All right. Let's, let's read the next uh, section here. Uh, 14 through 19. Do I have a... Volunteer for that. I will. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Wait for him by the river's brink and take in your hand the rod which was turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, you have not yet obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the rod that is in my hand, and it shall be turned to blood. And the fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile shall become foul, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, Take your rod, stretch it out, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. Thank you. That's a lot to do to put those rods over all of that. <laughs> but literally, I mean, if you took it literally, it would be quite a lengthy process. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, looking at the text, try to identify different ways the denial was so important to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. With that... The biggest means of transportation. Transportation, absolutely. Fish. Fish, yeah, absolutely. Drinking water. Drinking water. Irrigation for their fields. For the fields, right, yep, that's right. The Nile is one of the, isn't it the longest river in the world? Yeah. Well, it's not the longest, but. One of them. It's, the, yeah, it's one a, of the biggest, yeah. 
Um, let me read here from, we'll do this one, it's shorter. IVP, Bible Background Commentary. The Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt. Agriculture and ultimate survival were dependent on the periodic flooding that deposited fertile soil along the Nile's uh, Nile River's 4,132 miles. Um, the obese Hapi, uh, one of the children of Horus, was not technically the god of the Nile, but the personification of the inundation of the Nile. Um, so... It is the longest. It is the longest, okay. The Amazon is the next, and the Yangtze River is next. So, um, so that tells you um, a little bit. You guys caught most of that. The part that is not so clear in the text is... Um, is um, that it's it, there is a god assigned to the Nile. One of the hundreds of the Egyptians. Yeah, and that's Hapi, the child of Horus. Um, additionally, because Pharaoh was thought of that he was the, a god, it was Pharaoh's responsibility to maintain uh, a state of proper order and justice. Um, um, and to... to um, now here's a quote from something uh, that Pharaoh's job is to um, was to maintain an all pervasive order that embraces the world, humankind, objects, and nature. <laughs> um, so, um, so the, uh, the the Nile being turned to blood not only attacks um, not only attacks Egypt's lifeblood, their agriculture. It attacks their gods, and it attacks Pharaoh himself. Um, so that's that. That's a lot of that's a lot of uh, uh, birds with one stone, so to speak. So, with that in mind, what message was God sending to Pharaoh by temporarily turning the Nile to blood? He's the one true God. <laughs> yeah. That. That he's got the um, that he's got the the power, right? He's not only the god of the Israelites, but he's also the god of the Egyptians. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and and that would be and like we said last time, that that's important for them to see, because they believe that the Lord Yahweh exists, but they think he's the god of slaves, and so they think he's low on the totem pole. Um, all right. Let's go on to the next one. Does somebody want to read verses 20 to 25? Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the rod and struck the water that was in the Nile. And all the water that was in the Nile turned to blood, and the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart became hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. 
Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even lay, did not lay even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug round about the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink water in the Nile. Oh, seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. No, oh, okay. All right. So the question here is, what are the consequences for Pharaoh's not taking God's signs and wonders to heart? What are the consequences for him? His heart hardened. Pardon? His heart hardened more. His heart hardened more, yep. That's one of the consequences for sure. <laughs> his refusal affected other people, right? Um, blood throughout the land of Egypt. Uh, no drinking water besides what they can dig in a hole. Um, fish die. There's a, a primary food source is, is gone. Stench of death. <laughs> Stench of death throughout the whole land. Yeah. Uh, but the magicians of Egypt Good. did the same by their secret arts. What mm-hmm. were they doing? Turning water to blood. They were turning, why wouldn't they turn it back from blood? <laughs> that is exactly the question I have written in red at the bottom of this page. Why? That tells you something. It tell, it, first, it tells you what kind of power they have. Tell me what kind of power these guys have. Evil power, right? But but they, they can do a little bit, right? They can turn water to blood. And in the first, is the first three, they, they're able to re- reproduce a few. They, they would do the snakes, the blood, and they were able to do at least one more by my, my memory. Uh, I can't remember. It's not listed here. Um, but what can't they do? Undo what God has done. And they can't, yeah, they can't undo it. And they can't control it. So it tells you no, that no matter where they've gotten this power from, it could be trickery or it could be satanic. One of the two. Um, text doesn't tell us, does it, if it's a trick or if it's real. It just says they did it. Um, I'm, 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 I tend to think it was real and it was satanic. But they could not control it. Um, Although the this is from the uh, this is from a study Bible. Although the magicians repeated the sign, they did not have power to reverse the effects of the plagues or to cleanse the water of the Nile. That should have that should have told Pharaoh something. <laughs> that although his dudes could do some things, um, they can't do everything. That that's a great point. Now before we move on to the next. Last question, uh, the, the second part of this question. Now we're going to go to Revelation. <laughs> we're going to go to Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, and then chapter 16. Everybody there. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 reads the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues notice 
they did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Turn now to chapter 16. Um, and I'm going to just quickly read the first uh, 11 verses or so. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Sores. Is that one of them? Boils. Yep, that's number six. Just, just keeping track here. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers, and the rivers and springs of water, uh, and they became blood. And I heard an angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who was, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is well deserved. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And there they were scorched by fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God and the power who had power over these plagues. They did not repent or give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. I think we've seen darkness. That's number nine. Uh, people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl. All right, and, and, that, and that's all. Um, so I want you to see that those plagues pop up again in Revelation. Right? So there's a parallel there. Um, and, the same, and, and notice... That the same that they 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 mean the same thing in Exodus as they do in their fulfillment in Revelation, which is a little bit beyond the scope of this study. But I just want you to see that, and I wanted you to note something that repeating refrain refrain in Revelation. What was it? After almost each one of those plagues, it said the same thing. The people did not repent. They didn't change their minds. They, they hardened their hearts, you could say. All right. With that in mind, what happens in the world and in our lives as God's people when we fail to acknowledge uh, the true God as Lord of all? Eventually, we have problems. <laughs> Eventually, it's not going to go well for us, either in this life or the next one. That's, that's, that's right. Um, so this is a warning for us today. Um, Psalm 95, when we're going to do matins in a moment. Uh, Psalm 95, right after the part we sing, the next part in the text says, Oh, um, that you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Right? That, that is God's plea to us. Don't harden your hearts. Um, God comes to us every Sunday and he preaches both law and gospel. Right, law 
to, to break up the fallow ground of our hearts uh, and gospel to plant seeds uh, that will grow into, good, into life, right? Uh, so we have both of those things. Um, and just like the Israelites were in slavery to e- the Egyptians, we are uh, enslaved to Satan, sin, and death. And Christ has already come and, and, and set us free. Um, and the world wants us to uh, return to Egypt, so to speak, um, and go back to a yoke of slavery. So there's a warning for us here today, for all of us, that we would hear God's word and take it to heart um, and, and not act like Pharaoh. This might be a moot point here, but back to verse 22, where it says the magicians of Egypt did the same thing. Mm-hmm. God had already turned everything to blood, what was left for them to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, they, they probably, um, it, what I imagine is it's something similar to something I saw in the movies. Oh, look, Pharaoh. They grab a bowl of wa- a random bowl of water. Look. Yeah. See, we can do it too. You know, that, that's what I imagine, and that's how other people have imagined it. But uh, yeah, they were getting water beside the river, maybe wells. Yeah. Pulling out water, so maybe they took some of that. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, you know, maybe had they had some packs of red Kool-Aid and, and just opened them and, you know, it, it, it looked like blood. Or maybe they had satanic power and were actually able to do it. We don't know. That's a big thing in itself. And that it wasn't just the water in the Nile. It was the water that had previously been taken from the Nile and put into clay jars. That's right. Right. So it was the whole work. So you can't use a red tide coming down the river. As, that's right. They wouldn't have infected the stuff that they'd already Right. There, some of these, some of these plagues, um, there, you can get a lot of similar plagues um, by natural occurrences. But what the Bible tells us here is that this is not just a natural occurrence because it goes beyond the scope of a normal natural occurrence. And natural occurrences don't respond to uh, old men waving staffs around, um, generally speaking. Um, <laughs> all right. And the final, re- the final reflection here, um, um, how did the events of the plagues of Egypt demonstrate God's ultimate authority as the one true God? Just note, note in that second page you have, each one of those plagues attacked a different set of gods who had authority over those things. So God is showing his authority over all these gods that they're not, either they don't exist or they're demons who ultimately don't, you know, who don't, can't obey God. So he, does, he, he shows that he's more powerful than Pharaoh, that he's a god both of the Egyptians and of the Israelites, and that he has the power to do this. And he's the god of their gods. That's right. And, and, that, and that means that he is, he is the god who can continue to help, save, comfort, and defend us today. Let's play. pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this. Um, demonstration of your almighty power that we have read uh, in the plagues of Egypt. Um, and Lord, we ask that, uh, that we would not need plagues to, um, 
we would not need to see plagues in order to believe your almighty power, but we, that we would take uh, what your word says and believe that you are the almighty God, the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and that you um, have the ability to set us free from Satan, sin, and death, um, and you have already done so in Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask you that you would uh, uh, bless uh, our time of worship upstairs and, and uh, bless the rest of our weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to to having you with us again next time.